Hello, I'm Sid Rose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast, a special one, actually, because we're going to be doing several of these, uh, speaking to one of the speakers for the Big Zero show, which is coming up on the 20th of June in Coventry at the CBS Arena. 2,000 tickets gone, so thank you very much for that. We've released some more, so get yourself to the event. We've got a packed day, and one of the topics we're going to be discussing is with the wonderful Gabriel Davis, who I met at a, a conference not that long ago. And she won me over, didn't you, Gabriel, about the joys of floating wind. So uh, do you want to just tell everyone which company you're from and your official job title? Because I always like to have that as well. Sure. And thank you so much for having me. So yeah, I'm Gabriel Davis. I work for Orsted and I head up our floating wind program. So for those of you who don't know about Orsted, we are a Danish renewable energy company, but we have been the leader in offshore wind for, for many, many years now and really led that journey of this super exciting technology. And now I am fortunate enough to be leading our work into kind of the future of, of offshore wind, as I like to think it is. And that is floating. First of all, thanks for coming to the show. Why did you want to come? It's, it'll be great to have you there. I do love to do is talk about how great offshore wind is and obviously renewable energy yeah. You know, I think probably most people will agree it's extremely important. We all need energy yeah. for everyday life. But the power of offshore wind, the scale is what is so exciting. We know that it can really produce just so much of what we need in terms of renewable energy going forward. We've already seen the industry grow hugely, even just in the last 10 years. And we see so much potential for it to grow even further. So I love to get out there, talk about how wonderful offshore wind is, how much green energy you can get from it, and really just kind of share that story with as many people and organizations as possible. And you love the Big Zero Show. That's what it's about. Of course, of course. <laughs> Let's talk about the technology. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a guy from Renewable UK, and it was very funny that he was like, well, you know what? We are real game changer. It's floating wind. And since I met you, which was not even, what, a couple of months ago we first met, God, I've been reading so much about it. So let's take it back to the basics for our listeners. People have seen wind turbines, right? So if you go off the coast of most of the UK, you'll probably find a wind farm. And obviously we know what onshore wind looks like, but offshore wind, most people have seen one and know what they're like. And in fact, they become like the one off um, the London Array is like a sort of tourist attraction, people sort of go around it. So how are they traditionally built? And then can you explain what floating wind farms are? So what are the ones we normally see that are out there in the oceans? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the ones that we're seeing out there at the moment are what we call seabed fixed or fixed bottom offshore wind turbines. And that means that they are attached to the seabed with a foundation. And there are two types of foundations. There's what we call monopile, which is essentially a large cylindrical steel foundation, or you have jackets. Now, there are other types of foundations as well, but those are the most common ones that we see. And jackets, for those of you who kind of are struggling to picture what that looks like, the structure looks sort of not dissimilar, perhaps, to the Eiffel Tower, okay. at least the kind of base of it, if that makes sense. So very large structures. And um, the key with fixed is that you need to really have water depths of sort of 60 meters-ish or less, um, because, of course, you cannot just keep. Right, because you can't, you can't go down too deep. And so you have these large foundations, yeah. and then you are able to place the wind turbines on top um, and we're now seeing turbines you know which are really really massive in scale it's so exciting you know they started out sort of yeah. you know very very small and now we're seeing you know sort of 12 plus megawatt turbines are going to be out there so really really large structures yeah i mean if you read either end your life future news or you just look around you google it you'll see you know blades that are kind of 20 meters long 
being put onto these things. They're huge in parts of the world. But I suppose the thing that's always been thrown back, which is people, you know, like them for the sense of the, the energy, but it, this is a, the concern of all the kind of embedded carbon, the stuff that goes into make this, because you've got to pour concrete, I assume, down here. You've got to stick metal in there. You've got to anchor it to the seabed. All of that takes a lot of energy as well, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. It does take a lot of energy. And something that we really focus on at Orsted is, is making sure that the emissions from creating these wind farms, from installing them, from all of the component pieces, that we are um, really trying to be as carbon neutral as possible. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that, of course, we do need to take that into account. But then when you think about the amount of renewable energy that is produced for decades yeah. in these wind farms, and you're looking at a lifetime of 25, you know, 30 years, really does, I think, outweigh the energy that goes into installing them. When you talk about the lifespan of these things, I mean, th this is the other thing that people talk about, which is how robust are they? And I suppose we're not really there, are we? We're probably, I don't know what the oldest wind farm is in, in the UK, how, how old it is offshore, but I doubt it's 30 years. I would have thought much more recent than that. So with the kind of science of, you know, we all know about <laughs> you stick something out in the sea, the seawater will get to it, rust, erosion, all that. So in terms of the basics, before we talk about floating wind in particular, what do you predict these lifespans to be? What do you do to have to maintain them? Because this is all part of kind of whether these assets really count long term that people, people want to know about. Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that they they definitely have a really good long lifetime. We're very confident of that. So the first wind farm actually that was put offshore, Vindaby, it was one of our wind farms, you know, that lasted for a very long time decades in fact well over 20 years and certainly that is the lifetime that is expected plus so 25 30 years uh, for these wind farms but that does take operations and maintenance yeah and over the decades we've really been you know focusing on how you optimize the approach to operations and maintenance so that you can keep these turbines spinning you know we want to be getting as much renewable energy as we can from them so you don't want them to have too much downtime and that's something that we actually have 13 operational offshore wind farms in the UK so we really know you know what it takes to to keep them going and that is through the the maintenance of them so that you can keep that lifetime as long as possible and do people love to go in them I mean I don't know how they work because some of them are sort of hollow inside I know I've seen them you know, it's not like a lighthouse, man, is it? There's, I suppose there's people go in, just check them once in a while and off they go and leave them alone. So it really depends. I mean, they have changed so much in the last few yeah. years, but they are really now optimised and the new ones really are very large. In fact, the newest ones, they're now going to have um, facilities on them as well for people to use. So it's a very different picture from when we first started out. You can go for a pee in a wind turbine. Is that what you're telling me, Gabby? That's going to be part of the future and as it should be and as it should be. <laughs> So it's fair to say there's been definitely an evolution uh, with these turbines, certainly changed a lot. But yes, you know, you can certainly access them either by um, climbing up and then you'll you'll go inside uh, when you reach what is traditionally called the, the transition piece or where you enter them. Or sometimes people are actually helicoptered um, right to the top wow. of the turbines and enter them that way. So it depends on the model and, and the work that's being carried out. And the ones that are out there now, obviously, when you run them as an operator, I suppose there's a lot of smart data involved, you know, they talk to each other, you know, the, the way the winds are going and you sort of optimise their use depending on, on how things are, because the wind doesn't always blow, does it, even on, on, on offshore. 
there are troughs and peaks. Yes, exactly. And actually, these machines are, are really, really clever in that they do something called yawing. Right. So Y-A-W, and that means that they can actually adjust um, their positioning, oh, the wow. pitch, so that they are optimized to be capturing as much of the wind as possible. And and I think other point to make is, yes, of course, there are times when it is not as windy as others, but offshore, you've got a much greater chance of capturing that wind. And certainly the UK is a pretty windy place. Yeah. So the final question of that before we move on to the, the new stuff is, how do we get the energy? So people assume that it's just big cables, but are there now systems where they actually store with batteries? Is that coming on stream or is it still the wind farm is all connected and then there's a big cable that comes onto shore? Yeah, so really good question. And these sort of innovations are absolutely going to be part of the future. So at the moment, what you're generally going to see is, is that energy being transferred to shore through very large export cables, as they're called. Right. And then they come onshore and connect to an onshore substation. The power is, is converted and sent to the national grid that way through through one of their substations. But certainly one of the things that is being looked at is storing that energy. So thinking about balancing, because, of course, there are times when it's really windy. So you're going to have an awful lot of renewable energy coming onto the grid and it might be too much for the grid. Yes. So storing it, balancing the energy coming onto the grid is really important. And, you know, we, we talk about how exciting offshore wind is in terms of the capacity, the amount of green energy it can produce. But of course, you know, it is intermittent in the sense that you cannot always exactly control how much you're going to get. So looking at how we store that, how we balance the grid is, is hugely important. And we're going to just see more and more of that. And I suppose that's the thing that people are looking at, which is, you know, the government's investing, you know, industry investing in that ability for us to utilize the energy when it's there because at present it's kind of as you say we get it when it's all blowing and then we have to use it but there, there is wastage across the system and also the, the the grid balancing can't do what it really needs to do do you think the future will be this idea of kind of mini power plants basically so the wind farms generate the wind if it's blowing let's just keep going and we can store it and then tap into it later is that the direction of travel it's certainly something that we're looking into. So actually, Orsted has just signed an MOU with Highview Power, which is looking to prove the feasibility and economic value of co-locating energy storage with offshore wind. So that's really kind of investigating how do you combine wind technology with what Highview Power have, which is liquid air energy storage. And what we want to do is make sure that that wind is not going to waste. So to do that, you want to develop a means for it to be stored and then to generate power on those days that are less windy. And that's something that, as I've been saying, you know, we think that's really critical to support the stability of the power. Our network. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Highview. I remember their plant. We filmed it back in 2012, and I was very interested about the television. It's quite sad that you put it together. So we've laid the picture of what we've got now. What is floating wind then? So floating wind, it is not. You know, you shouldn't look at floating wind and say, wow, completely new technology. We like to think of floating wind as an evolution of fixed offshore wind. It is still turbines offshore. But instead of having those foundations fixed to the seabed, they are floating. Now, of course, they're not just floating by themselves. Of course, you know, currents would mean they would float in all sorts of directions. They are tethered right. to the seabed by mooring lines. Okay. And this also, as a concept, is not new. So it's very similar to oil and gas infrastructure, which, as I'm sure you're aware, um, is often placed in very deep waters because it's possible to do it with these mooring lines. So what you're able to do with floating wind and using the idea of mooring lines and anchors and, and these very large floating foundations is take offshore wind to markets which otherwise would not be able to use the technology. And I've got a fun fact for you. Go on. It is estimated that around about 80% of the technical 
sort of market globally for offshore wind is in floating only waters. So that really that shows you kind of the scale of of what floating could be, but also actually how constrained it is if you only do fixed. Are you saying that basically, I mean, I can imagine this, and I hope the listeners can imagine this. You see things like boys, right, in, in, when they're swimming and they're tethered and they bob about. Yeah. So will these things actually bob about? They actually do float and they move, but there's something that holds them in that sort of position so they just move around a certain point really good question it depends on the design they actually move about less than you would think so i think often people imagine that these you know these floating uh turbines they're sort of you know really pitching back and forth very dramatically but they're designed in such a way that actually the movement can can be really minimized of course it does depend on the different design so there is something called the semi-submersible and that has mooring lines which are less rigid for example than another design which is called a tlp or tension leg platform and what that means is that, of course, you have the tension in the mooring line. So that will hold it much more firmly kind of in place and you'll see less movement. So it's very much depends on the design that's been chosen for the foundation itself and how that's tethered uh, to the seabed. How long has this been around, this technology? So floating wind is actually not really, really new. I mean, I think what's new is the fact that we're on the cusp of industrialization and that people really are seeing it as, as a, a real part of the future. Right. So was it like a niche kind of experiment? Style? It's been pretty niche. So yeah, there are some operational floating wind farms, very few, and they are small, but they, you know, they have been demonstrating, as it were, the technology, some of them for a number of years now. So we've seen some demonstrators, i.e. kind of one or two uh, turbines, and then there are a few uh, floating wind farms that have more like sort of, you know, five, six, seven plus turbines out there floating but they are small scale at the moment and what we're really excited about over the next few years and certainly kind of around the end of the decade is seeing those large scale floating wind farms uh, coming online. Are you building any now? So we have a number of floating wind projects um, in Orsted so at the moment they are in quite an early stage but we have two lease areas actually both in Scotland. Uh, We have our Stromar project which is a one gigawatt project and that's with our partners Blue Float and Renantis and we won that lease as part of the Scott Wind leasing round so beginning of last year. And we also recently won a 100 megawatt lease to develop the smaller sort of stepping stone floating project also in Scotland, uh, which is our Salamander project. And what's really exciting about that is these stepping stones, those smaller projects enable you to test out uh, the technology, the installation, and really get that supply chain going, ready for those larger projects, such as our one gigawatt Stromar project, which is to come. So, you know, really excited that we have that project. It feels very real now that we're going to be putting a floating wind project in the water this decade. You look at all this stuff that you're working on, I suppose the first question that will come to my mind is getting these things out there. Is this cheaper? Is it better for the environment? So if you're not having huge concrete piles in the ground, that's obviously a good thing. But I don't know what these things are made of, whether you can recycle them, whether you can move them. So as winds get better and in certain areas, you, you move them around with little engines. So in terms of their environmental profile compared to their sort of fixed How would you say, could you explain what they are to the listeners? Yes, I can. And and I I think, you know, what's clear is that they are very, very large structures and they are either made of steel or concrete. Okay, so so they're still the same sort of thing as, as the normal ones we'd see. They are. And in fact, they are larger generally and heavier 
than right. fixed fixed foundations. But what's interesting with floating is that it's sort of seen that they are likely to scale better with larger turbines. So you may need fewer positions overall okay. uh, to reach the same amount of capacity. I think the other thing to remember is that, as we've talked about, like, yes, they are very large structures. And of course, there is a energy intensity yeah. going into the production of them. Something that we're very focused on is, you know, how you build floating wind and industrialize it in a way which is as sustainable as possible. And we recently entered into an MOU with Axiona, a, a Spanish manufacturing company focusing on concrete. And they have a real focus on sustainability in concrete, which really fits with what Orsted's trying to do as well. And we actually have a, a commitment. We're a member of the First Movers Coalition on Cement and Concrete. So to really reduce the emissions there, we're also a founding member of Steel Zero, which is a demand side industry alliance for fossil free steel. So, you know, yes, we know that these materials um, are energy intensive, but it's it's something that we feel is, is really important as a leader when it comes to offshore wind is really looking at what's the impact of the materials that we're using to build these wind farms. So, okay, here we go. Here's our pop quiz. Rapid fire, Gabriel, are you ready for this? Okay. I think so. Right. Do they move? Are they like on tugs that have engines? Do you mean in terms of how they're transported out to site? No, no, when, when they're actually there. Can you just move? Hey, let's move him 10 miles that way left. Yes, you can move them. So what you would do is you would unhook the mooring line from the anchor yeah. and then you can move it. And of course, that might be to move it back to port if you're doing maintenance or to, to move the positions. So yes, they can be moved. Can you shift them like thousands of miles so say you said i'm going to build them off scotland and then someone says oh actually could we have some off uh, the coast of newfoundland you go we'll move them across the ocean or are they just locally around so i think you'd need to think about the most sensible way to be fabricating and assembling these right so i don't think you would ever move an entire floating wind farm from one part of the globe to the other but they certainly the turbine and the foundation can be assembled in port and then towed out to site can you build them in very deep waters you certainly can so as we talked about earlier the depths that you can go to with floating are far greater than with fixed you know you're looking at depths of you know over a thousand meters in some areas so they would be quite far out away depending on the continental shelf from a country yes could be distance but also just depends as you say on the ground conditions there and how deep it is oh. so it might be that it's actually not so far offshore it just happens that it's very deep waters does that open up a chance to go places that wind hasn't gone so far it does. It opens up so many new offshore wind markets. And there are many countries for if they're going to do offshore wind, floating is the only option they have. So it's super exciting to think about the potential of how much offshore wind we could see globally and how much more renewable energy that we could be producing because now floating wind is going to become a reality. Is this a niche thing that you're doing it or other companies now getting on board and you'll see this becoming, you know, the way solar took off and the way sort of onshore wind took off, this floating wind will be something that many companies are doing around the world. I think it's fair to say that we've moved beyond this being a niche technology. You know, it's, we, we very much see this as we're on the cusp of industrialization and we're certainly not the only company focused on floating wind. There are a number of both large and small energy developers who, who are out there saying we want to do floating, we believe in it and the supply chain as well. And, and what's super exciting with offshore wind is that there's, um, because the, many of the component pieces are quite different, it's a new supply chain that's opening up. Can you live on them? Will it be like oil and gas platforms where people go out and they live on one of these kind of floating things for a few months at a time doing the maintenance? So I don't think you'd ever live on a turbine itself, but what we do have is something called SOVs, so service operational vessels. And we use these already with our, our fixed offshore wind farms and, and you can live on those for a number of weeks. They're extremely comfortable, great facilities, and the technicians um, you know, have shift rotors. 
and they will go live on the SOVs and, and that moves around the wind farm as they're being maintained. So I think we're going to see more of that rather than actually living on a floating uh, turbine, which I just don't think would be that comfortable. Oh, I could see these agents float, you know. Sea views all day long. Imagine that. I think you'd have to have a, a very good sea legs to be living yeah. on one of these. Right. And talking about sea, you knew this was coming. What about the dolphins? What about the whales? And all joking aside, people have said they have a project, uh, objection with wind turbines in the oceans, in the seas, because they worry about what happens to marine life. So let's clear that up. Um, obviously, there is an effect on marine fauna and flora, but mainly the animals because you stick something in the sea that changes echolocation changes all that so what are you guys doing what are other companies doing to try and reduce the effect you have on the marine environment so there's two things to say on this firstly we believe it is so important that we are kind of in harmony with other ocean users so we would never as a company want to be going out there and harming the environment we want to be actually enhancing it you know we we're a company who aims to have a net positive biodiversity impact from 2030 it's a hugely important part of who we are as an organization and how we want to develop offshore wind so it's something we take very seriously i think it's important though to clear up some myths and that is that you know these structures are kind of you know, harming marine environment and animals. Yeah. And actually, there's very limited, if any, evidence to suggest that that is actually the case. And in fact, there's evidence to show that they can even enhance some environments, for example, with creating artificial reefs, encouraging more fish and sea life in certain areas. So I think it's it's not the case that offshore wind is detrimental to the natural environment. What about the campaign groups who say that it is and the, the people who are saying that, you know, we shouldn't be doing these things? Because you've got to engage with these people. So how do you try and win them over who we just have a, a downer on it because of that. Whatever the truth is, there's a narrative out there. That's true. And, you know, we spend a lot of time engaging with these groups and trying to understand, you know, what the concerns are, working with them to find solutions, yeah. you know, really always aiming to, to look at innovative ways for coexistence. But we also have, I think, to look at the bigger picture here. And the fact of the matter is that climate change, it's real, it's happening. We have to reduce our emissions and offshore wind is such a brilliant way to do that the capacity the amount of green energy it produces so it's a balance right between yeah. being able to develop a technology and also ensuring that you are not damaging the environment and the world that you're in and that's something that's hugely important to us before we go let's just think about why this matters so at the big zero show we'll have loads of businesses there and they're looking for solutions today obviously i wanted to invite you because i just think it's cool tech and it's great to talk about it but in reality do you see this as a way that actually levers will be pulled to to help us do what we want to do, get to net zero and decarbonize? And businesses will be powered if we can have storage and local distribution from these things in the future. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, we've entered into agreements directly to sell our power to several organizations who have made commitments to net zero and who want to ensure that they are using only renewable energy for their operations. So it's happening already it is possible to buy power to power your, your organization directly from wind farms and to say this was the one that was made off the coast of scotland that'd be right Bit like your salmon i'll say this is my my power came from the, the, the seas it's great stuff exactly why do you love it so much because that, that's the other thing i really liked your enthusiasm tell me why you love this so much do you know what maybe i'll just take you back very briefly to the beginning of my career and i started my career as a lawyer yeah and was doing a lot of advising of sort of infrastructure work, you know, permitting advice. 
and it was for you know retail supermarkets hugely important oh, yeah. we need that no question fundamental part of society but I wasn't really passionate about it. And when I found myself working in offshore wind, I discovered this huge passion for something because you're not only coming to work and getting to work on really cool technology and massive projects. And that is very motivating, and very exciting. But this is things that really change our future. It can change the trajectory we're on with climate change. You know, I've got children, you've got children yep. thinking about their future and knowing that I come to work every day and get to do work which could change that future for the better. That's why I love it. Oh, it's a good one. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you at the Big Zero show. So thanks very much for coming along. And I hope you'll be excited to, to mingle with our delegates and, and tell them all about it. I cannot wait. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Brilliant. Gabriel, we'll see you on the 20th of June. Ladies and gents, great speaker. Check out her on LinkedIn, Gabriel Davis. Find out more about offshore floating wind and you'll get all the answers on june the 20th we'll see you then help can i control energy costs for my business how do i electrify my transport is cutting emissions hard what is carbon negative you'll get the answers to all these questions and more at the big zero show on the 20th of june at the cbs arena in coventry register for your free ticket now big names big opportunities bigzeroshow.com you've been listening to the net hero podcast with summit bows from future net zero Visit our platform for all things net zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.